Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. We are back. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and... And Mayu, what's going on, everyone? Austin, I was thinking this year that I should start doing the intros. I think everybody's getting tired of hearing your voice starting up, but we'll, we'll start I to- would fucking love that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're joking, but yes, that would give my... Uh, I feel like sometimes I'm not as enthusiastic uh, doing the intro. It's the same thing every single week. I definitely think you're more enthusiastic than me, but... um. What, what's going on, man? How's, uh, how's the break? What, what's it been? Like two, three weeks since we did an episode here. What have you been up to? I know you are on a little bit of a plan. <laughs> oh, dude, we should have given a heads up that we would be going on a break. Some of the podcasts I listen to when people, I mean, when they're anticipating a break, they have like a one minute episode, like, hey guys, just the heads up, or they will inform in the last episode. We kind of just went MIA. So sorry about that, guys. Over the holidays, I did a blackout on social media. Like, here's the thing. I, I just hate to be that sort of old man complaining. Social media is the highlight reel of people's life, including my own, including yours, Mayu, including many people that we know. You show the good and the bad, but you can't show everything transparently. And the more and more you understand that being in the industry, uh, at least for me, I sort of want to have that disconnection between real life, enjoying friends, family, and sort of what's on my entire feed. So it was a good break. I'm back. I know you're back and going hard on social media. That's actually one of our goals uh, for this year. Yeah, I know you're looking at LinkedIn a little bit more. Um, I'm just trying to do like once every like two weeks or so on LinkedIn, just post something to kind of keep engaging with people. Um, yeah, but it's a good platform. I know Gary's talked, Gary Vee's talked about it a bunch. And that's why I was like, okay, fuck, I can't keep ignoring this thing. I think anyone else that's like on a similar journey, I think LinkedIn is uh, is a great platform. TikTok's the one that I've never been able to fucking figure out. And uh, for the life of me, that is uh, a big mystery as to, I, I just think the type of content we make, man, it's not, it's not entertainment. You know what I mean? Like it, it's yeah. learning shit, right? And like, even myself, like there's always so much I want to learn. Like, I don't want to see every single like friggin' post be, I don't know, some sort of like educational shit. You go on social media to like relax and like enjoy life, right? But yeah, that's been a big one. Um, what else is you put yourself through a challenge, right? For, for social media. So what's the challenge that you're, you're going to do 40, 45 days, a video a day. I have to make it's 11 AM on Friday. I got to make my video for today still. Cause, uh, Fridays are, I'm trying to keep it like relevant and like recent news and stuff like that. So that's a little bit of a challenge. We'll see how it goes. I'm going to Miami for five days in between there for a batch party. So I'm not sure how that will all play out, but, uh, hopefully it's fine. Um, but what about you, man? What are your goals? What are you trying to choose this year? Yes, honestly, man, I am, I'm a little bit different. So I have broad goals, but I don't, I may not put as much thought as some of, uh, some of the other investors there. I don't have goals on how many properties I want to acquire, so on and so forth. Cause I think that really does depend on a lot of different factors throughout the year. If my income takes a hit, I don't want to acquire properties for the sake of it, right? So sort of my broad goal this year is that if I am to buy real estate this year, which I I am going to, I'm only looking to buy two, two multifamily properties, right? Anywhere from four to six units each. So let's say 12 units. I feel like I'm more in a place where I want steady growth, less headaches, um, less stress with my life. And also I want to put more of a focus on active income. So wholesaling, has actually picked up in December. I don't know if our preamble came out, if we ended up ever putting that episode, but we ended up wholesaling a few deals in December. Our recent Oakville one, we just got an accepted offer waiting on a deposit for that. And there was a decent amount of interest on it, believe it or not. So we are seeing sentiment sort of shift back towards uh, buying. And some of these people I've never worked with before. Um, So that goes to show that they're probably opening up emails again. Even our open rate on our emails, which is something that we monitor, like when we send out an email, what's the percentage of people that are opening? It's hovering around 50%, which I would say this time last year, 2023, no, this time last year, so January, actually no, let's say 2022, December, 
it was about 30% open rate. So it was very low. Mm -hmm. People were not interested in buying real estate, right? This is a small sample size, sort of what I'm seeing. But yeah, so that's one of the buy a couple properties, social media, same thing with you. I want to go hard on LinkedIn just because everyone's competing for the same audience on, yeah. on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think people are competing as much on LinkedIn. TikTok, as you said, it's not our thing. You know, like yeah. I just can't be doing shit. Can't you, be you fucking did a couple dancing. like dancing videos and shit, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had my shirt <laughs> off. I was shaking my <laughs> hips. I was twerking. <laughs> no, no, that was only fans. My fault. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of memes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got a lot of memes. Going on that yeah. shit. Yeah, no, I think on the real estate side, you bring up a good point. It's like you really want to set a goal and buy something for the sake of buying it, which is a tough one to answer. But to be fair, I do do that, right? Like I go yeah. like last year, I was like, okay, I'm gonna buy two properties. Um, so first half of the year, bought one. Second half of the year, failed on that. Just kept trying and kept failing. So, um, but this year, I'm like, you know what? One property, but make it a multi or one property in the GTA. I'd be happy with either one of those solutions, right? And there was a decent one that I was like, yeah, literally like January 1st. I'm like, ah, do I do it? Do I not? It was holidays. I'm like, you know what? I think we've talked about this before, but you and I have a couple of private loans out. I'm like, let me get some of this private money back. And uh, that yeah. gives some some more comfort as well, I think, right? Especially if like, we're not doing it with partners and stuff like that's our own capital. You got to be very like capital conservative right now. Um, we've also talked about one of like, my, my strategy on my multi-apartments has always just been pay off the debt and try and get it like as high cash flowing as possible. Okay. I might refinance one of those just to take advantage properly of the market because I'm, okay. I don't know about everyone else, but like I only feel comfortable when I'm deploying like max, like 50% of the capital available, right? So like now okay. for me to keep buying, I got to get like dangerously close to like 100% of my capital, right? I'm like, you know what? I don't like that position. So I'm probably going to do some refinances on some of my commercial buildings and see where they okay. go from there. But yeah, that, that's really it with me. I think um, this year, I don't, I don't know. I don't think we want to talk too much about market predictions. It's been a, a slow news cycle, obviously. Over the well, last. Ashley, let's let's talk about what do you think is going to happen this in the spring market? Because <laughs> uh, I mean, spring market just a few months away. Yeah, I was going to say the U.S. Fed backpedaled a little bit. I think you and I were talking about this yesterday. You were telling me about it, and then I, I went looking a little bit into it. But we're not going to get too much into economics today. We just talk about. Um, what we're seeing, uh, I think a lot of people are waiting for spring, which I think is unfortunately the wrong move. I think if, if you believe that the spring market is going to be better, I think right now is the time to be buying, right? If you have capital, if you are not waiting on a refinance, right? So I have a couple of clients. This is kind of like, a, I don't know if it's a prisoner is low, okay? But basically, like if you're waiting on a refinance, then the optimal time to do the refinance will probably be April, May, June, right? Yes. But if, you, if you're doing that refinance to then buy another property, the optimal time to buy is probably Jan, Feb, March, mm -hmm. right? So it's kind of a mm -hmm. double-edged sword where if you wait a little bit longer, you will get more funds out of the refinance, but then you will, the reason you're getting more funds out of the refinance is a higher appraisal, which then means you will probably be buying at a higher price as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of a double-edged sword that we're dealing with, but the solution to that is honestly, do the application now, do the refinance now and delay close until April 30th, which is exactly like four months out, right? And then if there's a deal that pops up between now and like March 31st, at least everything's done and we can quickly close the refinance. So we're doing a couple of those just to, we're like, yo, like why take the rate today? Why take the appraisal today? If we don't know for sure if we're going to have a property to buy, right? Yeah. But no, that's, that's fair enough. enough. That's the dilemma that I think a lot of people are dealing with. It's you need to refinance something to buy your next property but you obviously don't want to refinance today at a higher rate for no reason either. Higher rate, lower yeah. rate. Yeah. Yeah. I, some, I mean, some of the rates I've heard are starting with four, if it's five, five years. And it's with a very specific lender, so I'm not going to say it's a broad stroke, but yeah. it is possible. And it seems like when the, literally the time that had happened, which was sometime in December last year, the market, I'm not going to say it's recovered, but sales activity started picking back up. Right. We, we talked about a Bowmanville yep. property that had 20 offers on December 20th. That's the fucking holidays, dude. Yeah. He's yeah, put yeah. in 20 offers during that time. But who knows? Right. Like it's such a volatile. That's I, you're right. Like predictions of shit business, especially in such a volatile market that we're in. I will say if the market does recover in spring, I think it's a good opportunity for investors to deleverage if they would like. If you felt like over the last year, you missed the boat in selling some properties. And if you had the chance, True. you would want to sell it. And the market does happen to get busy in spring and there's multiples. Hate that as one of your exits, right? But I know when things start recovering, people's head is like, maybe I should hold because they'll just keep on 
picking back up. But, you know, you don't want to get trapped in that sort of mindset. So if things do recover, I may consider selling one thing off that I don't like, right? Because I feel like that's an opportunity to do so. I feel like I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with what's left in the portfolio now. Like everything that I have today, it's kind of like, I want to own this stuff for like the long term, right? We sold off a lot of our fucking. I mean, there's one. Which one? <laughs> there's one that you and I can think of. Oh, fuck. Yeah. The, <laughs> one, uh, no um, names, a, no names. <laughs> the one of my, my wife's name. We'll just, yes. nah, that's one really, they talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, right, right, right. <laughs> that's good, yeah, so. I think of the rates topic, I think most people are still in like the mid fives for like an owner-occupied yeah. property with like reasonable like 30-year amortization, which for most investors listening to this podcast, like eight investor rates are always higher than owner-occupied rates. You go on Reddit, you go right. on all this shit. And everyone's talking about like an insured purchase, which is like less than 20% down and a 25 year amortization, which most of us do not qualify for anyways. Right. But I think most of the investor products you're in like the high fives or low sixes still today. Right. So it's not that attractive for us yet. I do think we need to come down to like the low fives for like investor products for a lot of stuff to start making sense. But when that happens, I do think we'll get a little bit of a rip in the market. The only question is where does the year end? I think that's a real fucking question for everyone. Yeah is where do we end off the year? Because if rate cuts are happening, it's because the economy's not doing too well, which I think everyone just loves to fucking ignore, right? Yeah, which is not doing well right now. Let's not, yeah. let's not ignore the elephant in the room. But that. anyways. One last thing, I think the, the I think it was real estate sales in 2023 was, I was reading some random like headline. I yeah. think it was like the worst in like at least like a decade or something like that. I think it was like, yeah, maybe a decade or 20 years. I think I was seeing that as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's nowhere, there's nowhere to go but up from here, though, from a sales activity point. That's what you fucking think. That's what you think. And now we'll watch next year, 2025, we're going to be talking about how we sold our houses because we got broke, bro. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Uh, if that happens, that's the end of this podcast. But let's jump into today's podcast episode. Nonetheless, today we have Amy Ho and Kevin Gom, real estate couple dynamic duo. They started investing in Ottawa and then moved into the conversion strategies and they're consistently stepping up the level of the real estate journey. They've recently done an Aplex in Cornwall. They're absolutely crushing it, but not only are they crushing it from an investing side of things, they're also crushing it from a real estate entrepreneurial side. They're looking to shake up the industry, especially in the bookkeeping space, which admittedly myself, Mayu, a lot of investors that are probably listening to this don't have that in check, but it is very important. And we get into the dynamics of how clean bookkeeping can help your business in real estate and what they're looking to do from a business point of view to shake up that industry. You don't want to miss that on this episode. We get into so many interesting topics. And without further ado, let's jump right on in. Okay, everyone, we are joined with our very special guests, Kevin Hobb and Amy Ho. Long time in the making. I think we've been trying to set this up for a couple months now, but very excited to have you guys on. We're super excited to be here. Thanks yeah. for having us. This is our first podcast, so we're not sure what to expect, but we're excited for it. Yeah, that's kind of surprising. I, I would have thought you guys would have been on some podcasts by now, but uh, super honored to have you guys on to start off with. So for anyone that doesn't know you guys, why don't you give them a quick background on yourselves? Probably take turns, whoever wants to start first, but uh, how you guys got started in real estate and um, yeah, what you guys are up to today. Uh, so we got started in real estate because uh, we were both working, actually met at work. So we're working with job and then um, actually the way we got into it was we felt like it's hard. Like it's obviously like it's hard to to keep like progressing your corporate job. Like every year for you, like at your annual, you get like 10, 15, like uh, whatever percent it is. Uh, so that's when we started looking at other avenues. And then we're like, oh, most millers are usually into like real estate. So that was about the time when we decided to buy our first house. And when, when we got it, we were actually dating for like five, six months at that time. And I convinced Amy somehow to... Hey, let's, let's just buy a house together. Here's an interesting story. So at the time when we had just purchased our first house, Kevin and I were only dating for about six months. So I'm like, okay, is this the real deal? Am I buying a house with a guy that I'm just dating? <laughs> it's like close into the relationship. Like, what if things go south? And so I had a huge panic attack literally the day before we signed. Like the night before our conditions, like the seventh day, the night before we're like in bed. And then she's like, she literally, it was started up as a calm conversation where things go wrong. I'm like, look, worst case scenario, we like, if you don't work out, we'll just split it. It's a business transaction. We'll just split it 50 50. And like, like that, that'll be it. Don't worry, yeah, it's we're getting married next year. <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't know us, we're getting married next year. So it all ended up working out. But it was like a calm conversation. And then Amy got more and more like scared and stressed. And she literally had a full panic attack and I had to like calm her down. And the reality was like, 
we love our day jobs, but we were looking for more. And we yeah. just didn't know yeah. what that more was. And we didn't really know about real estate. And it's actually funny, Austin, that we're on your podcast because it was you who's triggered Kevin to get into real estate. No, no, no. Well, well we got into real estate first. Uh, and then after we got into real estate, we bought our first ones. And like, we were the first one, one of my group of friends to actually buy property. So like, oh, like we're doing pretty well. We were like, like 23, 24 at the time. So like, oh man, like, like, I think, I think we're killing it. So you're going to rentals, like we're literally driving, this is before COVID. So we're driving every mm-hmm. single weekend and like painting ourselves, doing everything ourselves. Uh, COVID happened and it was all work from home, which helped us because we were spent all our time in Ottawa. But then afterwards, we're like, okay, we're wrapping up. Like, what do we do next? And then Austin's article comes out with Toronto Life. And he's 25 at the time. No, no, no. You're, you're younger than me. I remember that. You're 95, right? Austin? 95. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm 94. So I saw that afterwards. When your article came out, you're like, a year younger. You had like 20 units, like all these properties. I'm like, we have one. Like, what the hell are we doing? Like, <laughs> So that kicked us into gear. And then we started going to more networking events. We found like, uh, we learned about like culture programs, join one. And then basically that's how we like learn and scaled up and like got into community and got to where we are. So yeah, it's like full circle. Super honored to be on your guys' podcast. Cause like you guys, well, Austin's <laughs> article is the one, but they've seen both you guys, both you and my, you with podcasts and everything. It's yeah, it's been like a full circle kind of movement. And I feel like Kevin missed the beginning of your question, Mayu, about like who we are. We kind of just went into the oh. whole state. Um, so just to give you guys a little background about myself. I work in health tech and I work as an operations and implementations, uh, really teaching other people about how to use our software and implementing it into other people's businesses. Yeah. Uh, I met Amy there, but then I got pushed for a different company. I now work at a, a firm, which was Paybright, uh, working as strategy. So I work a lot with data every single day and pretty much, yeah. Growing the business. Growing the business, growing the portfolio. Awesome. I hope you guys were not leaving me death threats when you, when that article came out. <laughs> <a lot of laughs> no, we're, we're like, how do we become you? How do we do it like with ourselves? <laughs> and now that we know you. Hmm. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So you guys are up to a lot of cool stuff now since I guess uh, that article didn't even come out too long ago. It's been about three years. You guys got into your first property. It's always interesting to hear how that first story goes because it seems like you guys were not really networking at that time, right? You didn't know too many people in the industry. You were literally going in blindly and, and trying to figure things out. That was how I got started. Curious as to how your experience was. We got lucky with the first one because uh, we bought it in 2020. Uh, and like we knew like kind of like very high level that we wanted to, like you want to buy something that's a single family or two units, so that's like double the rent. So it kind of was going with that goal. Knew nothing about conversions, nothing about permits. So we got like a townhouse that, uh, and we're like playing around the idea of Airbnb as well. So we got the townhouse. It was in a really good area of like downtown Ottawa and Hinterberg for anyone that's from Ottawa. I went to school at Carleton. So like I knew the Ottawa like area. So I knew it was like, um, for most, I think most listeners are from Toronto. It's kind of like the Kensington market of like Ottawa. So very hippie, very up and coming downtown. And then when COVID happened, obviously everyone got scared that market's going to tank. But as we all know, like everything like spiked up. So that one, we just, we did nothing crazy. We put like 50K into it. A lot of like sweat equity, like painting and everything. But yeah, just got super lucky with it. And we were able to refi a lot of our money back out. And we used some of that refi money as well. And that's when we found Artico and then we joined a coaching program. And then we joined Corey's program. And then that's when we learned how to like actually learn about the bear, start networking, join a lot more networking events. And then the second one we was a full-blown conversion, which was kind of our COVID. That was our, the first one was like, easy walking a park not not walking park but like nothing went crazy wrong second one was when we had all our issues our number conversion like uh, we hired some contractors we got the cheapest one which was not a great idea in hindsight but we also didn't have a lot of capital so it was kind of our only option so went that route and pretty much when inspections came we failed like every single inspection i think like Shit. looking back at our yeah. first project at the time because it was our very first baby it felt like a lot yeah. Like, and we were just doing minimalistic lipstick renovations, just a quick like paint job. Um, but the fact that we were like commuting from Toronto to Ottawa, that was a lot of pressure on us. The fact that we were doing it ourselves and we were putting our own, like our own capital. We didn't have any investors at the time working with us. We we're like, okay, this is a lot. And again, I'm still back here thinking, is this the right thing to do? Like, who is this guy? But we're like, but like looking back now, after now we have several uh, properties under our portfolio that was like a breeze in the park that was like a walk in the park to be honest i think about it and i remember having a lot of fun like there were a lot of nights we just like we'd be drinking like just like just drinking a few beers and like painting blasting out music and like dancing while we're painting so 
It was yeah, like you guys are psychotic. I feel like Kevin's idea of fun could be like just going through the shit and like getting fucked up and you know, <laughs> it provided us that understand like our why. It gave us the purpose. We understand like we worked so hard, and to see the outcome and the fruitfulness of that project, we're like, man, we really appreciate it. But now okay. that we've joined the coaching program, we've learned to be a little bit more offhand. But we still reflect back to like that hard work we did. And we understand the empathy when we're dealing with traits people. Yeah, yeah. you know what it is? Like in the time, I guess any any scenario that we're dealing with seems like it's like the end of the world, right? And then like in hindsight, like one or two years later, you're like, oh, fuck, that wasn't that bad. Like we were a little bit dramatic about that, right? And, and <laughs> we just deal with like more and more like messed up scenarios, right? So how did you guys go through like, because you started off in, I believe it was Cornwall, right? And, and I think you, you guys Ottawa. are still like investing. Oh, it was Ottawa. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so obviously the capital requirements were a lot higher and then, you know, to continue kind of scaling up your prop, your portfolio, was it just burrs? When did you guys bring in partners? Cause I know you guys raised capital today, right? When did you guys decide it was time to bring in capitals, uh, capital and go a little bit more aggressively, right? And then, yeah, just what are you guys up to today? So I think, uh, it, this actually ties to your first question when you said that you were surprised or your comment, we were surprised that this is our first podcast. Yeah. I think it was a lot of like imposter syndrome at the time. Like, I felt like what we were doing was right, but like, obviously it's like, it's scary taking other people's capital. So the first two was ours. Um, and even though um, the first one went well, like we burned it out to give you the numbers and it links to also why as well. The first property bought at 476, uh, a townhouse. We put 50K into it, market spiked up and it, it was reappraised at 710. So like full bird, like amazing deal. But that's like Ottawa. So the good part was we got up and we rolled the, we rolled the, like the bull, like rise up, but it just got too expensive afterwards. And the reality was like, we would have loved to stay in Ottawa that was where we initiated. But because again, you said markets were raising, we didn't have capitals. We were sort of pushed out of our cities and we're like, okay, what's next? What's the next move for us? We want our uh, homes that we're investing in sort of closer together in the case that if something ever went wrong, that, you know, all the properties are sort of aligned together. So Cornwall is just an uh, hour outside of Ottawa, yeah. which makes it a lot convenient. Like we looked at it as like our second one too. We're lucky to get two because at the part was going up, like I knew that uh, we're, we could probably just buy one more max. So we bought a semi-detached uh, 442 and now we did the, we did a full like uh, conversion. That's where everything went wrong. But even though it went wrong, like it still ended up being a full burr because we got our, our total renovation was only 80K, which was like, like unheard of uh, there. We actually, we have some students from, forget the other program that was in Ottawa, that's big in Ottawa. Uh, they actually came to check out our, our properties and they were like, oh yeah, Raz is black card you. So they came and checked it. I was like, yeah, it's a little bit of rough around the edges. I can see why you guys pay 80K for it, but it was still a full burr. So yeah, that was a raise at like seven, uh, I think seven as well, 700. And then, but afterwards, like we just couldn't buy anything. So eventually <laughs> we moved into, uh, we moved into Portwall cause like capitals were high. Uh, they could see rates were, they could say rates were low. So everything kind of checked out. Uh, Tedipool was a little bit rougher, uh, but like these smaller towns is usually like that. So that's why we were there. And what's allowed us to scale to where we are now is really just like, we make the purpose of showing people what we're doing on social media, not in the marketing sense, but really like, oh shit, like this is what we're experiencing today. Oh, so to pop up like my Insta store and be like, guys, take a look at this. This is a shitty home. It's a quarter home. And like really just showing the realistic view, uh, views of real estate. And so when we started getting partners, it was people that we actually knew, people who trust us and we trust them. And that's sort of how we sort of grew. And then through social media, the power of social media, we actually got our very first real investor. And I say real investor because it's outside of family, outside of friends, right. um, through that. Yeah. I'd say we actually got a lot more engagement out of all the possible things that went wrong. Like all that second yeah. property. Every, point, every single time I complain about it, especially clear all this, it's like, yeah, I've been there, done that. It was like a lot of like, uh, a lot of words of encouragement, like just pushing through. So that, that was really like, that helped like a ton too. Yeah. yeah. And when you put that energy out there, you get feedback and solutions from other people. I find that when I talk about like, oh, I'm going through this. I'm like, have you tried ABC? I haven't tried ABC. Right. So you're also kind of putting it out to your audience to help you get through those obstacles and hurdles. Um, I guess those properties in auto, I'm curious if you're still holding on to it today because, OK, but they are both two units. Right. So are they still a like cash flow positive or how are how are they performing in your portfolio? Because it's a it's a big city. And it's a prime location. And those are usually a little bit tougher for, for cash flow. Yeah. First one, super lucky. Uh, fixed at 2.69, uh, 6.8. Okay. So yeah, that one's cash flowing, but it's probably coming up pretty soon. 2024, 20, I think. Two more years. Yeah. Two more years or 2025, somewhere like one or two years. So yeah, that one would just hang yeah. up on that too. 
Uh, second one, we are just barely cash flowing. Like it's okay. like, it's, yeah, yeah, it's like tight. It's, it's not bad though. As long as you are, it's not like taking money out of your pocket, which is good. Now, let me ask you this about conversions. So you guys mentioned that you have limited capital and conversion is not a strategy you would typically expect someone to go through if they have only a hundred, 150,000, right? Because generally people who do conversions like 200, 250,000. Why did you decide that was the strategy you want to go down? And to touch on it, you said that there was a lot of mistakes on your second property. How so? Like, did you hire the wrong BCIN designer? Or did you manage everything yourself and were learning along the way? Like, just to give perspective. So you're asking it as if we knew all the strategies and we decided this one. It was more of like, we only learned about this one. So we went with that one. So that was the reason why. I think what went wrong was, uh, so we found this, uh, it was a referral through a family. Um, and again, this bar second one, we just started networking. So like, we didn't have like a bit network uh, to ask. So uh, to be honest, I don't, I don't even know if it was even like, um, like, I don't know if it was a licensed GC or not. Like, we didn't even know that was a thing. So we just hired him to do, he's like, oh yeah, like I've done it before. Like, go oh, easy. Oh wow. These are charging you like how much? Like, yeah, I can get charged for this amount. It's like, oh, it's a family friend. So it's like, oh, perfect. We just scored like a sweet deal. So it's like win-win situation. And it goes through, everything's flying fast at the beginning, framing fast, like demos fast. First, especially it was like, yeah. oh, Phil. It, it was like, oh yeah, it's okay. Oh, it's just minor things. And then uh, they fix it up. Uh, re especially for framing, failed again. So it's like, okay. And, and then- day. Same, same thing happened. Did they give you a reason of why it failed, by the way? Did they say? It was like, oh, it's just letting it say. The things of why well, it like, failed. And like, we would provide they, that paper to yeah. like that electrician or all around trades guy. Yeah. It's like, okay, don't worry. We'll knock this off. But then anytime we went for a re-inspection, it would just be another long list of things that they needed to combat. Yeah. And like, especially when you're going through the city, there's a time delay as well. Like he would always tell us like, oh, it's just little things, it's little adjustment, nothing major. And like, obviously we believe that we didn't know how to read it yet. That was our biggest eye opener to how rentals like work. And like, since then we've actually started GCing everything ourselves because, because it was so painful, the silver lining is that we learned everything we could about like what the proper steps are, like how to go about it. Oftentimes you just learn by, learn by failing and failing forward, right? Like it is what it is. Trial and error is like one of the most expensive ways to learn, but it's the most effective as well. Yeah. So you learned about duplex conversions, you went into Cornwall. Uh, but kind of want to jump ahead here. So obviously you guys have, have done a bunch of different projects in Cornwall now. What's the strategy that works in Cornwall? Because I don't think we've had a guest on here that's done Cornwall for like at least a year or two years, right? So um, what's the strategy that works in Cornwall today? What are the numbers like in Cornwall? Yeah, just give us your thoughts there. Yeah, so when we got in, it was, it was super cheap. I'd say multis work and conversions work. Like we started out, we bought a duplex. We tried doing the cash for keys, which uh, at that time when we learned about it, it was like, oh, it's like easy, but that win-win. Found out it is not like that at all. <laughs> Went into it, like prepared to be like, oh, it's going to be good. It's like, uh, what's the thing this? There's a huge so, emotional aspect that people don't take account for when you're doing cash for keys. Like people yeah. lived at your properties, they build a lifestyle. And so when we're coming in, hey, here's some money to get you out of your lifestyle. We felt the brunt of like, you're not taking Man. me out of my home. And so... Yeah. We knew that was a strategy we never wanted yeah. to experience again. Yeah. Like the first one we did, it was like a uh, single mom with three kids upstairs and downstairs was a ODSB, a single older like lady with like a, with her, her boyfriend. So yeah, it was like, <laughs> yeah, like oh, yeah, hard to do it. Oh yeah. That's, yeah, that's, so that's we, a very challenging yeah, yeah. Kind of quality to have a convo with. Yeah, like our first one and our last one. And then from there, like we managed to like, re like increase like that. We, we reached like somewhere like middle ground. So it still helps out. Um, lucky for all of our future purchases in Cornwall that they purchased the properties that we fully for. Yeah, like yeah, it's I time I got. Luck, but it's actually like we look for it. Yeah, look, I like the term manufactured luck. Because uh, like, yeah, we found one off market. It was a fourplex and then like fully vacant. The eightplex we just got to uh, was also fully like fully vacant. vacant. Uh, one of them we bought from, we bought from you, Austin, which turned out to be a lot of issues, but it's like, it was like, <laughs> like literally came out of nowhere. Like we did that one, we bought its conversion, which actually numbers wise, like you gave us an amazing deal. Like, like two seconds. Cause this is our most recent project and we're trending pretty well and oh, yeah. what was expected. So like what we purchased the property at. Yeah. We got it at like 750. Uh, it was like a praise at like, um, nine seven, no, nine seventy as is. And then afterwards, ARB was, it's going to be at 1.4. So for formal rents, a one bedroom goes for, uh, uh, I think it's like 1300, two is 15, about 1500. And a three bedroom is like nine, 
high 2000. So the rest uh, were comparable to like the cities here in the GTA, which was pretty awesome. Well, like out of city. I mean, not yeah, like, like, yeah, out of like, like the smaller towns. Sounds like it's comparable to like Windsor, Sudbury, stuff like that, but yep. the prices are exactly about like cheaper, right? Yeah. Cool. Okay. And so like, what are the challenges then investing in Cornwall? Like, what have you guys have to deal with? Like, I, I know the tenant one is that one that I'm sure you're going to like, everyone listening to this is going to go, oh, tenants, blah, 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 stuff like that. So I'm just curious. Uh, and by the way, we're going to get back to the eight unit. So we're yeah. just, I guess we're getting the market sense and then we'll get back to the eight unit. Yeah. I'd say conditions of the home. That was the biggest shocker. So our Ottawa homes are doing pretty well. Like they don't need like a lot of work. Our, our Cornwall ones are like, uh, they're older homes, they're rubber shape. Like for example, like the, one of the largest issues that we had is the, the Leduc one. So the one that we bought, the conversion one, that one, we did everything right. It looked like things are going good. We did our plumbing inspection, did framing. As we're doing like the, the rough and for plumbing, we finished past the rough and plumbing inspection. And then there's like a leak that happened. They were like, oh, where's this leak coming from? So call their phone back, they checked everything, like everything looks good. And then uh, they just left there. I was like, okay, like everything looks good. But like, we're like, why is it still like coming up? And then it rained the next day. And then again, back and realized it is coming from uh, the soil. So we found out our entire weeping towels are shot. So like, oh, that's, like no. that's what I was like. Yeah, the good deal gave us amazing deal, but it's like stuff that like it will never come on a home inspection. And just yeah. for everyone, for everyone else, like weeping towels are foundation around your home that protects water from going into the home. It's underground. It's impossible to check in a home inspection. And then basically it costs us like 20K to like dig up and like replace it all. Also, we purchased a property near like a paper mill. with. Oh, that's a Cornwall thing. Uh, I forgot what it was. It was like uh, Cornwall had like a paper mill back in. Um, I kind of forgot the details of this, but our plumber told us this. Most of the plumbing has been changed, but because of the paper mill factory, it clogged a lot of pipes. Clogged yeah. the pipe because of paper mill. And so we had to experience like replacing all of that because of. Yeah. Like what was the structures back in the day? So. But most of them have been replaced. There's only some of the older homes. Sometimes it hasn't. And if they see it, then then, then like you have to replace. I don't remember if you have to or strongly recommend it. I don't remember that. Do you remember? No, I think you have to replace it. Yeah, I think maybe you have to. Yeah. And it's also, like, I know you mentioned tenants, but like the tenant profile, there's a little bit rougher as well. So it's <laughs> yeah. done with. So. Two things, actually. One thing I wanted to expand on is is when moisture comes from the uh, soil up. I think that's a common thing in Toronto, especially in downtown, believe it or not. It's, it's almost everywhere, right? So my buddy was doing a fourplex conversion on a property he bought right near Ossington and Queen. Uh, it's a prime location. And fourplex conversions in downtown Toronto property means you have to gut everything and waterproof and do it all. He waterproofed exterior. Was it expected? A water... like, did he expect to have those yes. anticipated costs? Yeah, yeah, he did. So he did exterior waterproofing, got everything done, but there was still moisture in the basement. It came from the soil upwards, right? So they had to put all new concrete padding in there or dig down, excavate, and then put concrete padding. But these issues, like, to your point, with these older properties, shit, like, you don't know what could come up, right? And it could cost, 20000 is a lot of money for on budget. Yeah. And yeah. it's unfortunate that even if you're paying someone to do a home inspection, it's really not covered in that report. So it's, it's like, not. Yeah. Yeah. It's like impossible for them to like dig in and it check. Is. Yeah. Now, let me ask you about the tenant quality. You say it's a little bit rougher. So when you're screening tenants, I'm not sure if you're doing it yourself or property manager is doing it. What do you guys generally, do you guys have final say? Like, do you see the application at all or no? Okay, so what do you guys generally look for? Because in Windsor, for example, I'm getting these applications where in my head, I'm like, Jesus Christ, they have 10K in credit card debt. Their debt to income level makes sense, right? Like in terms of they can afford their credit card payments, so on and so forth, but they still have 10K in credit card debt. I'm curious to see what you're looking at when, when formal tenants apply for your unit. Yeah, I'd say uh, like we are property managers, like uh, they're amazing flex properties. So like they, Jen sends us like all the applicants. They filter out the applications for us. So yeah. when we're looking at applications, we know that it's meant they are bare minimum or they're like minimum requirement. And so when we're looking at it, we take a look at credit score. We want to ensure that there is a certain, uh, like we know that they're making their payments and they're making it on the time ahead. Six plus. Yeah. And even like the lower 600, sometimes depending on the job, like we're not expecting like 700 plus. So like, I think 600, I'd say we've actually never had a full discussion about it, but for me personally, I'd say 600 is probably like the cutoff. Yeah. And then we look at the job and like, um, 
it's so hard to like narrow in on what key things are we looking for, but we look mm-hmm. at how many people are living in the home, whether or not there are pets, because again, it impacts water usage and electricity bills. And like, even though the tenants are paying for a portion of it, like we still need to anticipate the types of costs that we're going to incur. Yeah. I think that sort of answers things, right? Like you're not, yeah. Like if you're going into these markets expecting 700 plus in every applicant, you're going to be sitting vacant for six months <laughs> plus, right? Yeah. And I, that was the expectation. Like I had to change the way my brain was wired when doing it because I'm getting a lot of 600 applications. And for me, it's like reject, reject, Is that reject, a no? reject. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, like, you know what? <laughs> yeah. Listen, listen, yeah. guys, I've gotten yeah, so many not I've gotten so many non-payment of rent. Do you guys see my story? He's traumatized. <laughs> yeah, I'm traumatized. But I think for the non-payment of rent, I think it's the um the, the debt to income that matters more, right? Like, unless it's like deliberate, like deliberately, I'm not going to pay this shit because like, fuck you, landlords, like that kind yeah. of stuff. That I think is reflected in like a credit score behavior of like people just choosing not to pay their Absolutely. Debt and stuff like that. But I think like unintentional non-payment is all about like debt to income. No, you're, you're absolutely right, Mike. So that's why I want to see 10K in credit card debt. And I'm like, they're not going to be able to ever pay this off. But from debt to income makes sense. And I've realized except sort of applicants like that. You can't, you know, it comes with the territory of where you invest in. So, so guys, jumping back to the Aplex then. So Aplex, obviously you got it vacant um, and it's going to be worth 1.4. You bought it, I think you said eight. With 750. How much are you guys spending to renovate that? Um, what's the exit look like? And do you still think that like, call it the medium sized multifamily still works in Cornwall today? Oh yeah, I think it absolutely still works. Uh, so we pop, we have a partner with our partner, Hanny, uh, we're the active partners on it and we raised uh, money to close on it. We're projecting 300 for renovations plus the only cost on top of that. So it's still like, yeah, that's, definitely. Yeah, that's still yeah. Cause we got it. I feel this one is a little bit unique. It's like one of those like like grand like home run like type deals. Like it's not something that you'll see like a lot in Cornwall. But yeah, we're we're looking, things are looking pretty good for it. We're wrapping it up. We bought it July. July Last June? year, July, July July 30th. Yeah, July 30th. Uh and now we're pretty much so at the time of this podcast, we are it's December. Uh we're pretty much wrapping everything up in January. I okay. was super aggressive and I actually wanted to get it done in like three, four months. Uh so this is already below, even though we told all our investors it'll be one year. But we, we should be wrapping up everything in January, getting it rented out instead of refi process. So a good thing about now is like all the, I'm sure you guys saw this, but like the interest rates are starting to go down. Mm-hmm. We yeah. were yeah. already looking good even before that. But now we were playing around with the idea of either going conventional or going with CMHC. I thought both rates were about the same, but after speaking with like Jacob and like our mortgage broker, we found out that it's, it's actually a lot cheaper. Like CMHC rates are well, like four or 5% at, at yeah. today's yeah. rate. So did not know that. So like, okay, yeah, no brainer. So we're going to go that route. Uh-huh. But yeah, so that's pretty much like our plan is to finish it, refi it to the first one. And also for anyone that's looking to go to CMHC, we bought ours with Calvert for private first. But if you uh-huh. have to go CMHC, um, there's a list of approved lenders you have to go through. So we have to uh, refi it to another one. I forget the name of it. For a convention for one. two years. Yeah, for two years. And then we refi it yeah. afterwards. Going equitable or first national, one of those guys, probably. Yeah. Do you remember? The name Jacob mentioned it on our call. Whatever. Yeah, uh, I just can't remember what it was. It's I think it's equitable. That sounds familiar. Yeah. No. I mean, as, look, not not I think is the reality of the changes that came out this year, but which you guys really would like. Everyone is caught off guard by that, right? It's just not yeah. necessary kind of like layer in between. But it sounds like eventually when you go to the CMHC, you guys are gonna be pulling out at like ninety percent of to value or whatever the, whatever you guys can debt service for. You're gonna be walking out of this deal with a decent amount of capital on top, right? So that I think is a whole run. I think part of it is, is that like, it's good to highlight, yeah, the numbers are amazing, but where do you even get a vacant fourplex from? What's, I mean, eightplex from like, what's, yeah. what's the story behind that? Um, because no one's going to go out and just be like, oh, vacant eightplex. I'm going to go buy another yeah. vacant eightplex again. Right. Like, well, yeah. Give us the background on how this even came about. <laughs> Why wasn't it on the MLS? Why didn't they sell it on the MLS? Cause it's vacant. Why isn't the property completely I love dilapidated? That you're that right. Cause yeah. like how, how come, like, it doesn't make you rarely, I've never seen that before. I don't like attributing to luck, but I got to say this was more, I'd say luck, right time, right place. It was, and that's why I preface the beginning. This is not like a normal that you find formal. It was on MLS. And the reason why we got it was, uh, so Corey actually, uh, Corey coach actually connected us with the seller. So she was looking to sell it. And then when you, she, we got in touch with her before we were going to MLS. So it was listed on MLS and actually it got sold first already. 
uh, to someone else. And we're like, oh man, like, uh, man, that would have been like a killer deal. Like, uh, we had like, it's pretty much the same offer as like, what we had. Like we had initially put in our offer because we were in the network, in the community of people. And like, she knew the people that we were hanging around with, having conversations with. We honestly thought, okay, home run, this is ours. Yeah. But she ended up going with a different seller and I guess things fell apart and they weren't able yeah. to close on it. I think because of the time, like we've only ever done like two plexes, like the four, four plexes was like our largest one. So I think uh, she didn't think that we had the ability to close. So right. we didn't get the first time. We're like, oh man, that would have been like, like an amazing deal. So three weeks go by. I'm like, you know, what? let's just try reaching out to her. So I reached out to her again, like asked her like how things are going with the conditional. Turns out the other one fell through. So it went back on market. So now it's back on the MLS. Actually serious. Yeah. Like we're serious. Like we can close it properly. Like, look, like we only done four plexes, but like we have like, um, we are like at the time, what, like six, seven properties. So it's not, we're not like beginners. Like I, I would say sure. we're experts either. I too are like somewhere between like intermarriage, sure. like, it, yeah, like we're still learning we're intermarriage, but like we can close on this. So actually Jacob hopped on a call and like helped us like push through. Like, you guys are legit. Like they know what they're doing. They will be able to close. Like here's how they're closed. Like X, Y, Z. So Jacob helped us a lot too with actually closing it. So that's how we ended up getting it. And then we, ha- we got the conditional period. We got committed from Calvert. Uh, and then that's where it closed on. But this was... I'd say right time, right place. And it was during when like the market rates, the interest rates were rising. So like, yeah, no, that's when everyone knows. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say you got it in July, which is basically, I mean, that was probably one of the worst times sentiment wise where people didn't want to buy anything, but you saw a good deal there. Do you know why it was vacant, by the way? Like eight units? How do you know the story behind the property or not? Not really. Uh, not really. Like, um, like we asked about it a little bit, but uh, we, we cared more about like the home inspection. Oh, yeah. We're like, yeah, we, we saw a vacant. Like, we didn't want to like do too much. We're like, okay, let's get home inspection. Let's just like, like, like Honestly, if there's no issues, let's lock it down quick. I think the seller held it for two years too, right? Was it? I think, yeah. I think he mentioned it was like for so two years. On the project and it wasn't fully completed either. So we were taking like a half completed project on. And so. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. But there's, there's almost always like a backstory behind it. Like, it's very rarely that like someone actually went through the effort to get a vacant for the listing. It's like, Someone just didn't have the capital to like do the renovation. There was like some sort of like, That's what I'm thinking it like, was, but I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. The deal was pretty cool. And, you know, from there, I mean, yeah, I think it's impressive that you guys are working two full-time jobs while obviously having the portfolio. And then I want to talk about the real estate techie side as well. So obviously you guys have a, a software business. Where did that come from? How did that like grow? And like, what do you guys, just tell me what you guys are trying to do there. Originally like, how we started, and I think this, applies to everyone it's like no one really understands bookkeeping no one really understands what's required for tax purposes it's like the end of the year and shit now you got to compile a bunch of things together so kevin and i were like okay shit we've really got to be better at our processes and so we originally had the intentions of just bettering the processes for ourselves we didn't want to sell it or market it to anyone but we're like oh shit we put together a really awesome system that i think could apply to everyone yeah like we got through a few bookkeepers and like we finally didn't have it like kind of what we were looking for. And like both Amy and I, like we work a lot with like day in our day in our day job. So like we knew what we we're looking for, but none of them could provide the end product. Here's the problem. Whenever somebody would ask us the question specifically yeah. about like where we're at with the money, what it, like written down in our report, what was being spent from a month to month basis, or it was really hard for me to provide an answer right on the dot when the question is asked. We'd have to take some time, compile a little list of all the receipts and invoices together and really do the analytic proportion after the question was asked. And so what we wanted was to be able to answer those questions right then and there if the question was asked at that current time. We built it out last year, which was V1. We're actually on to V3 now. Um, And then we showcased to a few people and like, oh, wow, this is like amazing. You should make a course about this. So we made the course, had V1 of it, had like a bunch of students. It's funny. We had like probably like 10, 15, maybe 20 students and probably like, Seven of them have logged, they, they all paid, but probably seven of them have logged in once. Seven logged in once. <laughs> yeah. And the course was, is intentional to those that want to learn to do it themselves. And the gap that we learned from applying version one was not a lot of people want to do it themselves. They want someone to do it for them and call it an easy day. Yeah. And so that's how version two came about was like, how can we make this process a lot easier for the end user, like having it done for them rather than them doing it themselves, learning the process, learning the like the nits and our systems. There we go. But so we pretty much the ones that actually paid and they do anything, they actually messaged us asking, like, look, at first I want to do it, but honestly I just need someone to get over. So that's how we started like take managing like other people's books. 
but we want to turn it into like we use Dex and we use Zero for our systems of how we like automate pretty much everything and display to like a Google Sheets dashboard. Which actually at the time we're reading this, Dex got bought out. So they're like fifty bucks a month now. So we're going to move. It's our special moving the receipt chapter, but yeah, not to go too on tangent. But uh, Zero is pretty much like the backbone of the accounting software. It's similar to QuickBooks, but the Google Sheets part is what really stood us made us kind of stand out where everyone who showcased to like loved it. Like uh, we worked with an accounting or we showcased to an accounting firm and they actually started referring a lot of clients to us, except that they were mostly on QuickBooks. So we couldn't take a lot of referrals, but we did take the few that were willing to switch over to zero. Um, but V2, now we, what we want to do is we want to basically create it into like a web app where it'll display, it'll connect directly to QuickBooks and also to zero and any accounting software. And it will display pretty much your P&Ls for a full month, all your cash flows, your rents, all your expenses. Uh, utilities, everything. So you can see how much you make for cash flow. It'll show you the current market rate of your property, how much the mortgage is, how much equity you have. So every single month, you see the cash flow and you'll see how much of the mortgage is going to equity paid out. You see your taxes and it'll give you alerts as well. If say in the winter time, a utility was like, like uh, your heating bill is like, oh, like it's like above your average, 150 like you're, you're enormous. So give you those type of alerts. And we're basically, we're hoping to launch that. Uh, we should be finished MVP by this month and then hopefully January, March. We're going to test it with our services clients first and then hopefully okay. watch that afterwards. But that's going to be like the main goal for like 2024. So it's probably one goal actually launching this business, but like, like software as a service, cool business, all, gets a lot of hype, right? I'm sure a lot of people get a lot of ideas. Everyone thinks about like inefficiencies in their own life or whatever, right? But like, are you guys the coding guys behind it? It sounds like you're doing a lot in Excel. So is it just like straightforward like coding or is it like more complex? Do you bring in a partner? Um, and then, yes, yeah, tell me about the business side behind this. Yeah. So we actually work with, uh, Victoria's boyfriend, uh, uh, Smith. So okay. Victoria built this lab. he's the developer. So he's the one building it. So we're managing like the business, the service side of it as well. And then we partner with him on the SaaS side of it. So pretty much we're bringing all the clients, but the play, like the B2, B2C side with services side is just, uh, for us to kind of like, um, like we want to build the client base and like it helps with like the, the cash flow, but on the B2B SaaS side. We don't want to go B to C. We actually want to go B to B. We want to take it and actually connect with accountants, with bookkeepers, show them that they can use the software as a value add to their current business. Because like the problem is like the end user, typically they're not like data analysis people. Like um, they, they're hiring bookkeepers, outsourcing it like for a reason. So the ones you can really like use a skill and like use it to its full potential are the accountants and the bookkeepers. And in like a regular SaaS business itself, there's always more money B to B than there is in B to C. So that is kind of like our growth strategy where once it's done, we're going to showcase it to the, to like a bunch of accounting firms, to a bunch of bookkeepers, and then like sell them on it. So that now you sell it to one, you're selling to like 20, 50, like end users. Yeah. I, th I think most people, most people essentially want the analytics and they don't want to do the data entry and the data rubbing, which is even like my CRM. Like I want to see like how many leads came in and like how many like files are we closing and stuff like that. But I don't want to go in there and like update my shit. Right. So that's probably the biggest pain in the ass for a lot of people. So for sure. So with the bookkeeping side of things, a lot of people look at it more so as we we're talking about like a day-to-day -day task that people have to do. What is the power of accurate bookkeeping though? Because you think about big corporations, big companies, they want their books up to date by every month and they, they have meetings to review it, so on and so forth. Like what is the importance of having up-to-date books and what insights can you pull from it other than it just being sort of a minute day-to-day -day task? Yeah. So I feel like the insights are huge. Like uh, once you actually have it like set up and like you can actually like see everything, it gives you a lot more power to make better decisions. Like you can see the trends. You can see like, for example, like how we mentioned about earlier about how like the biggest difference between auto corals, the coral properties are, they're rougher shape. So we see kind of repairs and maintenance, like they're much higher than an auto one. So it's something we can factor into like the next one. And as we're making like the future analysis, um, you also see like, properties degrade over time. So every single year you can start to see trends of like, look, our, if our heating bills are super high, maybe it's time to like look into changing the heating system or next time maybe we could look into like now splitting the meter fully instead of like uh, putting like eating it ourselves. Um, it's just the decision-making is the hugest component of having your books clean and being able to make those key decisions. Yeah, Finding those trends in all the small little bills that you pay, whether that's your heating bill, whether that's house insurance, you're able to pull data from the beginning of the year up until the end of the year compared to other companies and what they can sell it at and really set yourself up for success in getting those deals. Yeah. One of the biggest blind sites, because even though like uh, all those stuff, like what we mentioned, um, yeah, it's much easier to see visually, 
But uh, you can kind of see it for your bank account too, like what's remaining under the month. I think the biggest okay. blind spot a lot of investors have is like they don't really know how much equity they have and like how much the mortgage down is. So once you can see that, you see like how much equity is available. If you were to sell, it, it makes you, you can make the decision of like, does it make sense to sell this one, take this equity and move it to another one? Or if it maybe take the HELOC and not can buy another one as well. Okay. That's probably the biggest blind spot to like a lot of people. Cause yeah, like cash flow, like yes, it does make more conform, but you can kind of see it by whatever bank balance is there end of the month. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think too many investors and I've, I've been guilty of it. I know my has been guilty of it as well, where you see the bank account, like dip down a little bit. It's like, okay, like let's start looking into it, but it's, it's more of a reactive approach, right? Like data visualization is such a big thing in big companies with a lot of investors like, oh, just look at what's all of this data on the Excel sheet, but you got to visualize it, right? You got to turn yeah. it into charts. You got to turn it into graphs. And that's the only way you sort of make sense of these things. Now, let me ask you this. Obviously you have active income coming in slowly from your active business in real estate, which is your software, that uh, your software company. And then you, you also have your real estate portfolio growing, getting into bigger things. Like what, I'm not sure if you can answer this, like, let me know if not, but like full-time job, how does that, how does that fit into the big picture of things? Cause you have a lot of things sort of going on at the moment. Like is the intention to keep that there? Is it supporting your real estate lifestyle? Is it, is it helping you in any sort of way? And if, if, if you're not allowed to answer, we can skip over. <laughs> no, the full-time job is definitely helping, uh, like helping it. Like I, I actually really love, like, I think both of us like really enjoy our jobs. After I got pushed to this job, like my career job was like my ideal job. So it helps a lot. All the stuff that we built now with the bookkeeping is all like the skills that I learned from the day job. So it is challenging balancing between the two. Cause like, we're pretty much like, uh, both of us are like up at five. Usually, uh, we work on a little bit. So we go to gym, we start a day job. Then after work, we'll be like working a little bit more. We do try to balance it where we're still spending time with family, still spending time with friends. It's still like having like day nights too. At the first few years, it was tough. It was like no social life. It was literally just like grinding, like nonstop. Now, I think last year, uh, like our first year we bought one, second year we bought like three or four. Um, and then like, uh, managing all that the same year, that was like, would never recommend it again. Like that was like growing too fast yeah. and like, it was just a mess. I feel like now we've kind of like have our processes and everything set up, which we learn a lot from our day jobs. So it's a lot more balanced now than it was before. The really cool thing is that Kevin and I are investing together and we're a couple and we're working on the projects together and both of us bring different skill sets. So I'm in operations. I'm also in implementation. So really the two aspects of that job is teaching how end users can use our processes and understand how to use our systems better and grasp it in an easier concept. And then number two is how do we make things more efficient? Whereas Kevin focuses on sales and growth. And so by combining these four different aspects, I feel like we work really good together in terms of building the business. And again, like Kevin mentioned, do we got all those skills just from working from our day jobs? And we don't see ourselves leaving it anytime soon because we do enjoy doing that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's also working together too, it's also a lot of fun. Like it's not always work, like even when we're doing it, like it's just like, it's just fun. Yeah. Austin, I think we got to replace, replace our, uh, you got to replace each other. Oh, oh, my wife and your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but sure, Matthew, like, I mean, there's pros and cons to either side of it, right? Like I've seen yeah. like, power couples like you guys, just like where everyone's like involved in everything and, and it kind of works really well together. And then there's obviously like a con to it as well, which is like you're, you're in everything together all the time, right? So then what does that mean on, on the other like family side and stuff like that? No, no real right or wrong answer to it. That's pretty impressive. And I think you guys also had another really good point, I think. Over like the entire COVID years and even before that, I think this entire notion of like quitting your job was really uh, glamorized, right? I think a lot of people actually just don't mind their job. Like my wife doesn't mind the job. I'm pretty sure like a lot of people just don't mind it, right? And if you like what you do or if you don't mind it, there's really no reason to leave it, but you're just building up like a financial stability for maybe that time when you're like 55 or 60 years old and you like, you experience some sort of like financial instability, right? So that's pretty cool as well to, to kind of hear. So at this point in the podcast, we ask our guests like two questions. So the first question is, where do you see your business going in the next two to three years? That could be on real estate, could be on techies, like what's going to be the focus and, and so on. I think, um, it's actually chatting with Handy about this too. We're probably going to look to buy like the next one as well. But, um, I think going vertical was something that we were looking at before and we're pretty much on the real estate side. We want to keep, like, we're going to keep buying like larger, larger buildings. Uh, but we're also like open to expanding into like into like land development as well and like building those like uh and like 
I feel like that's like kind of regularly once you get bigger and bigger, but you kind of get into that, that development building. But I also want to go vertical where we want to even explore potentially uh, importing materials as well, where if we're getting larger materials, like one of the biggest barriers to like ordering is just like a higher quantity. So if we can get like one or like uh, get us, that's already like, let's say we buy like a 20 year next time. That's like, I don't know, like $15 square feet. We partner with like someone else doing this, looking to buy like, hey, why well, we should have saved style. Someone else is also buying another building. That's like $20,000, $30 square feet, like vinyl or tiling that you're looking to buy. And then from there, like uh, figure out ways to kind of like save costs and potentially even sell it. Like, oh, we can pick it back off small investors. Like, hey, we're buying this. We want to like buy stuff for your other smaller properties. So even something around okay. that is something that we're looking into for the real estate side as we're kind of buying more and more buildings, just like for optimal like efficiency. Uh, on the bookkeeping side, we still want to scale up on both. Uh, on the services and also on the SaaS one. So services, yeah, we want to continue taking on like a few more like clients, like like building that out slowly and building the processes because a lot of automation can be done already in zero, which allows us, it gives you better accuracy and makes that it cuts a lot of time for a lot of our clients. And also the visualization also helps a lot of investors too. We can probably help them avoid a lot of like pitfalls that like we fell through. Uh, and then once you get the SaaS platform, that one is super excited about because um, V1 is the visualization, which you guys already I, we've shown you guys like the Google Sheets one, yeah. probably some yeah. stories too. And then V2 is the alerts where like, if like the utility bill is too high or X or it's over or below like X model where your target is, it gives you like an alert like right away. So like you're aware in like real time. V3 of where I want to take it is I want to even connect it into like, um, work with a CRA and connect it there. So we actually give you like, um, it'll give you like basically how much your deductibles are, how much you can actually expense, how much credit yeah. you have. And they give you recommendations based off of what it is of like what you can do to like oh if you move it forward or move it backward obviously we're going to work with it i say this and Siri, if you're what if you're listening to this we're, we're going to work with accountant on this we're going to work with the full cpa on this uh it's not just going to be us doing this but uh that's why i vision for like the r techies uh it's so funny because you asked this question and we literally had a session at go place of what our future is going to look like and literally Kevin's mind goes everywhere. He's obviously a, a huge visionary. And so it's like every aspect coming from like renovations to property management to like uh, bookkeeping to like what we can do. Like literally it's a huge mind map. And it's like our future yeah. is like <laughs> unstoppable. Seriously. Like, <laughs> no, that's pretty cool. I don't know how many people want their, their books integrated with the CRA, but I'll, I'll let you guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, uh, second question for, for newer investors getting started in today's market. Um, you know, just getting started investing today, like what, what kind of advice do you have to share with them and, or what kind of risks are you kind of cautious of or any advice? I'd say network. Networking could have helped us avoid a lot of pitfalls. Networking, like listening to like, uh, like podcasts like Rise, I think those would be the two biggest ones. Like listening to as many podcasts as you can because books are great. Uh, books are great at giving you theory, but it'll tell you like what, what happens when like it doesn't follow that, that path. But like when you listen to podcasts, you're talking to people, be like, look, the book said it was going to be like this. It's not right. like this. It's like, like he was like curveball. So I think um, like listening about the people's failures, don't try to fault people that, uh, and listen to stories where it's not about like, oh, look at me, like, look at like, I just bought this, I just did this and it's also great. Look at, try to look for the ones who are like, oh shit, this went wrong. Oh man, that went wrong. Those are the real stories. And that's like, like learning from those guys is probably, cause they've been through it. They don't want you to go through it. So I'd say that's probably like the best thing. Also don't think too much, just do it. Oh, that's just, yeah. yeah, just, just like, you get stuck on like, what if, and like, we wouldn't be here if we didn't make that first step. Although I had that panic attack on our very first home, it's like, okay, let's just do it. We're going to figure it out. And at the end of the day, even if you're going through a problem, you're going to figure it out. You're going to look back on those moments and realize, you know what? It's really not a big problem. And then you're going to deal with bigger problems and you're going to look back and realize that's not really a big problem or it was a problem and you figured it out. So just put action. Oh yeah. Uh, last point after that. Don't expect to make no mistake. Expect to make mistake and like ask someone for help and then get over it. And like, just know it's coming. Like it's inevitable. You are going to make mistakes. You're going to lose all the money, but you will overcome it and like ask for help. The key thing is transparency (laughs) too. Like I think that you can get over anything if you can communicate well and if you're transparent about it. Nice. We have, uh, we have six, seven tips there. (laughs) So you guys take (laughs) take action on it, guys. Amy, Kevin, really appreciate you guys jumping on. You guys are up to some amazing things. I really like that you're implementing the tech side into the investing side because a lot of us can get uh, pretty stagnant with what we're doing and comfortable with what we're doing. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see you guys trying to shake up the industry there. If people want to follow you, connect with you, how could they best do so? Instagram's probably the best one. I'd say... Uh, so many handles. 
but, but uh, I think our personal Instagram will connect it and like without flooding it. So yeah, like Kevin Goff underscore and, and Amy Ho underscore. Yeah. Awesome. And that will be down in the show notes below. Um, if you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave us a five-star review, comment, share with a friend. It helps bring amazing guests like Kevin and Amy out. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.